Welcome to Worldview from WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. We have Thanksgiving, the most American of food holidays this week. To get you hungry in the lead up for Thanksgiving, we're going to feature some of the great global food that you can get here in this area this week. We're launching with the Chicago Sun-Times a series called Hungry for Home, where we explore the food of Chicago's ethnic communities, and we'll go to a Korean food mart and restaurant with Monica Eng in a few minutes. But first, we'll get caught up on some of the Korea news with Bruce Cummings, professor of history at the University of Chicago. He's the author of The Korean War, amongst other books. Thanks a lot for joining us, Bruce. Thank you, Jerome. There's been some angst in the media. There was a piece on Morning Edition today um, worried about U.S. and North Korea and the nuclear talks that don't seem to be going anywhere. And there was um, last week an article by David Sanger in the New York Times about uh, some of the missile activity in North Korea. And it suggested a great deception that the U.S. was getting skunked on this uh, deal. What do you make of what's going on here? Well, the Sanger article really was pretty bad for a front-page New York Times article. Uh, It uh, barely told the reader that the evidence they had on a North Korean secret missile base was from March, which was several months before the summit. Uh, Secondly, these were short-range missiles that are not covered under any agreement between the U.S. and North Korea, including the 2000 agreement that was going to let North Korea keep uh, missiles under 300 uh, kilometers. Uh, And the South Korean government almost immediately uh, refuted the report that it was old news. And I've been asking myself what's going on with this. And I think a lot of it is that uh, so many people can't stand Trump and think he's just going in the wrong direction everywhere. Uh, So there's a tendency to uh, try to stick it to him. Yeah, and to argue that that really the summit was some kind of a burlesque show that didn't accomplish anything. And uh, I I actually don't believe that at all. I think uh, the summit was probably poorly planned and uh, somewhat poorly executed in terms of the statement that was made. Uh, But compare our situation today to where we were a year ago, uh, where North Korea blew off a hydrogen bomb in September, an ICBM that could reach the United States in November, And according to Bob Woodward's uh, new book, Fear, uh, parts of it haven't really gotten enough attention. Uh, Trump was very close to an attack on North Korea last December. Uh, Now we haven't had any tests since last fall. We have an amicable, if not a love affair, relationship between Trump and Kim. uh, And North and South Korea are doing a great deal uh, uh, to further uh, this engagement. So... Uh, I, I can understand why people are frustrated by Trump. He doesn't seem to know what he's doing. I mean, one day he wants them to list all their weapons uh, and bombs, uh, and the next day he says, well, you know, I'm, there's no hurry. Uh, but I, I, I do think the process is going forward fairly uh, effectively, and we're a lot better off when, than we were a year ago. The lack of details is a little disconcerting for a lot of people. um, In Morning Edition today, they were um, kvetching about, boy, we've got a great opportunity to really talk details with them and we can't get the list of the nuclear things. We we won't lift sanctions. We aren't recognizing North Korea. There's all these things that people kind of expected to happen and almost none of them have happened. Well, North Korea has done a lot on its side – as I said, no missile or bomb tests, uh, <clears throat> all kinds of exchanges with South Korea. There's going to be uh, another summit between the two uh, leaders of North and South. 
uh, they've done some unprecedented things in the DMZ clearing mines where it's one of the most mine-laden areas in the entire world, uh, pulling back uh, military forces on both sides so you don't have an accidental uh, shooting incident. Uh, I, I was watching a video of them blowing up one of their uh, one of their places, uh, uh, guard towers, kind of things in the demilitarized zone. It was a big one too, and they were just blowing it up. Yeah, they're trying to create a peace zone there, which is a, again a, a very admirable thing to do. If uh, you've ever been there, and I've been there five or six times, from you know once even from the North Korean side. Uh, it's a very scary place with it's just bristling with soldiers and armaments and, uh, you know, people have been killed uh, uh, at that uh, uh, checkpoint. So it, that's all to the good. I, I think what, <clears throat> what Trump is doing uh, is trying to take a personal relationship with Kim Jong-un uh, and push it as far as he can. And I think most of his advisors don't really – agree with that. Uh, they want what you said. They want a list of all North Korean uh, missile sites and bombs, creation sites, plutonium, uranium, all of that. Uh, North Korea is not going to give them that list uh, very easily because uh, our intelligence uh, has its own list of what they think are the uh, many, many places in the North Korean mountains where they secrete missile missiles or bombs. Uh, but we don't have the whole list. And they would love for North Korea to declare all of their sites, but it's highly unlikely that North Korea would do that because they're bargaining and the U.S. isn't giving much in return. I mean a couple of military exercises have been canceled, uh, but the uh, maximum pressure sanctions are still on North Korea. I'm talking with Bruce Cummings from the University of Chicago about the U.S. and North Korea. After the break, we're going to go to the huge Korean grocery store H Mart in Niles with Monica Eng on our Hungry for Home series. Um, Bruce, does there come a point, though, when there, where there is going to be some sort of rupture between the U.S. and North Korea? Because North Korea is not getting what they want. They, they were testing um, some kind of uh, unusual... Uh, rocket or the, the, the object, advanced object, military object that was uh, – Yeah, that seemed to, <laughs> to have been a photo op for uh, Chairman Kim to come out and test some uh, wonder weapon that they have. But it wasn't uh, a, a, an ICBM or an A-bomb. It was some sort of artillery apparently. Uh, I, I think it's quite possible that there could come a very bad break uh, between the U.S. and North Korea – uh, but with this administration, you go from uh, simulated bombing runs on North Korea in the uh, mountains of Arkansas. This happened last December. Uh, they were seeing uh, you know, whether they could carpet bomb North Korea uh, and uh, take out all their sites. And the Pentagon, after the exercise, said, well, we can probably get 85 percent of them. Well, of course, the other 15 percent can destroy uh, Seoul or Tokyo. Uh, or many of our military bases. The the problem is they seem to be swinging between uh, very warm, cuddly relations between Trump and Kim on the one hand and threats, uh, a year ago, threats of a new war on the other. But in between, there is none of the activity that you saw with the Bush administration or the Clinton administration in terms of uh, professionals uh, getting down to hard bargaining, tit-for-tat bargaining with North Korea. And, and that's what's disturbing. Uh, Trump uh, seems to think he can charm uh, Kim, you know, make a deal with him. 
Uh, but there's all sorts of background work and preparation work that, it, that, that needs to be done. It is being done. He just doesn't pay any attention to it. <laughs> all right. Um, well, it's interesting. I mean, the, it seems like things are going great guns with South Korea and with China. The president of China is going to visit uh, North Korea, and the sanctions seem to be slipping all over the place. So there's um, an interesting dynamic there. Well, it's uh, <clears throat> very good. I think that North Korea has patched up its relations with China. They were uh, really at odds for the first time in their history. I mean, seriously at odds in 2014, 15, 16. Uh, Xi, uh, Xi Jinping has welcomed Kim to uh, China, to Beijing and, and, and northeastern city three times in, in the last year. And now, as you said, Xi Jinping will apparently make what would be a huge uh, state visit to North Korea. Of course, China has an interest in doing this also to poke the U.S. in the eye uh, because of trade conflicts, conflicts in the South China Sea. Uh, but it, it isn't a very smart American policy to push China together with North Korea. Uh, we actually had an unprecedented situation a year ago where China was supporting very stiff sanctions, including on exports of coal and things like that. Uh, it's unclear exactly what's going on now with the sanctions, but uh, certainly uh, China is not enforcing them to the degree that they were a year ago. Bruce, we're going to go in a few minutes here to our Hungry for Home series where we feature um, some of the ethnic food and grocery stores, and, and we're going to be talking about Korean food. Um, when did Korean people uh, start immigrating to the United States? Well, uh, more than 100 years ago, there were a lot of Koreans uh, in the thousands, uh, not tens of thousands, who came to Hawaii and then to Southern California. Uh, maybe there were 10,000 Koreans uh, from 1900 to 1965, not counting diplomats and students and things coming back and forth. Uh, but the immigration law in 1965, which was a central part of the civil rights movement, uh, took away the quotas from the 1924 really racist uh, quotas, uh, 1924 Congressional Act, uh, excluding uh, Koreans, Chinese, Japanese, and, and many others. Uh, and since then, we've just had an enormous increase in um, Koreans and their offspring, Korean-Americans. They're active in just all walks of life now. Every time I open up the New York Times, I see another novel by a Korean woman. Uh, the restaurant scene is also very diverse. Uh, uh, some of the best restaurants in the world are now in New York and Chicago and, and Los Angeles, and I know you're going to talk about that yeah. in a minute. Uh, in my classes at Chicago, uh, we have just, I don't know what the percentage is, but sometimes I think it's like 7 or 8% of incoming freshmen are Korean-Americans. No, no kidding. Uh, and my classes are just full. Uh, I have more than 100 uh, last uh, year in my Korean civ, uh, civilization class. So it, 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 it's a major minority now. <laughs> I was reading the statistics, and it's a million uh, people who have been born in Korea are here now, and a million of their offspring. It's uh, two million people. It doesn't seem like a lot, but for the visibility of their food and culture, it has really taken off around here. Well, it isn't. Uh, doesn't seem like a lot of people, but it, they're strategically placed in in major cities, and uh, the goal of all the parents is to get their kids into the best uh, universities, best schools, and universities. And so Koreans are, are batting uh, way above their weight uh, in terms of uh, the professions, uh, people with advanced degrees. Uh, I see it all the time. 
the really new thing, of course, is that the, the Chinese are doing the same thing and following in Korean footsteps. We now have about 375,000 Chinese students uh, from the mainland uh, in, in uh, the United States, and, and they'll do the same thing Koreans have done, which is to make major contributions to American society and culture. Um, what, how do you explain what's happened with Korean food? Uh, it, it seems to have – it did really blow up there. Uh, I mean you've been eating it all your life since you were in the <laughs> Korean War. But um, it, it seemed to reach some, some kind of peak. It was the Peace Corps, not the Korean uh, War. Peace Corps. <laughs> Peace Corps. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. I mean I used to know the restaurants along Lawrence Avenue, uh, so-called Koreatown, very well. And we went there, my family and I, uh, you know, at least once a week. Uh, particularly like the Hyundai uh, restaurant on California Avenue, most of those places have closed up, and you have a sign pointing to Koreatown on uh, on the Kennedy Expressway, but Koreatown doesn't exist really anymore. They've gone to the suburbs with the speed of light uh, for immigrants, and most Korean restaurants uh, are now in the suburbs. But if you want a very authentic, uh, no-holds-barred, uh, on-the-spices uh, Korean restaurant, the Chosun Oak on Lincoln south of Montrose is my favorite Korean restaurant probably in the country uh, because it's just like being in Korea. They they don't say, oh, can you eat spicy food? <laughs> they just dish it out to you. Uh, and it's cheap and plentiful and uh, just a great restaurant. Well, I think that's kind of part of the appeal of uh, Korean food. If you like the spicy, they've got it. Um, but thanks very much for joining us. Bruce Cummings from the University of Chicago talking about the U.S. and North Korea and a little bit about the food and culture of Korea. And after the break, we go to the huge Korean grocery store, H Mart in Niles with Monica Ang. I'm Jerome McDonald. You're listening to Worldview on WBEZ. This is Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. Today we're launching a series in collaboration with the Chicago Sun-Times called Hungry for Home, where we explore Chicago's ethnic communities through the food they eat and the grocery stores where they shop. Our first installment profiles the Korean community. WBEZ's Monica Eng visited Suburban Niles and the H Mart Korean Superstore. She shows us how to shop there. Her tour guide was local foodie Theo Han. We're starting in the produce area, and if you haven't seen it, it's just gorgeous. It's chestnuts and Asian pears and then stacks of rice. Persimmons, lots of Eastern Asian produce that, I mean, you'd, you'll see in some of the larger Asian grocery stores, but you're not going to see in, like, Walmart or uh, Mariano's, not locally anyway. In this section, we also see these big, giftable boxes of what look like chubby apples. Actually, they're juicy, crunchy Asian pears. Pears are very big in Asia, um, and unlike a lot of the kind of commercially grown pears that you see in the States, they're very delicate, which is why they are often wrapped in uh, cellophane and styrofoam. And how do you know how to buy them? Like, what should you look for? You want them 
kind of like the hardness of a not quite ripe avocado. And then, and then how would you eat them? Fresh and um, sliced. I know I like mine sliced and served over naengmyeon, which is a really kind of traditional presentation. Uh, cold buckwheat noodle soup, very, very popular uh, in Korea year-round, but usually during the summer. So we're sitting down for some snacks. Uh, they include kimbap, the kind of maki roll with uh, vegetables and some protein and pickles. We've got the sundae, which is the blood sausage. And then what is this third thing that looks like little brown bags full of sticky rice and vegetables and a little meat? This is called inari sushi. It's um, little packets of like a tofu skin, and they've been kind of uh, sweetened with a little bit of um, sugar and vinegar. And then they're stuffed with basically stir-fried rice, vegetable. Looks like they've got some bulgogi here. Next up, we tried a combination of beef, pork, and kimchi dumplings, followed by a sizzling bowl of what's called dolsot bibimbap. So what we have here is basically the hot version of uh, bibimbap. At its core, it's rice with a bunch of vegetables, lightly pickled cucumber, some radish kimchi, lettuce, regular red cabbage, an egg, some uh, bulgogi, some uh, chopped toasted nori, some mung bean here. When it's served as dolsot bibimbap, it's served in this very, very heavy clay pot that's superheated. The rice and the uh, other ingredients kind of cook on the edge. And if you let it cook through a little bit, what you'll get when you mix it with the sauce is this caramelized, crunchy crust of rice on the exterior, which you allow to cook and then you stir through so you get this mixture of, of textures and flavors. Toasted rice, cooked vegetables, texturally and flavor-wise, it's kind of fantastic. After our snacks, we were off to the refrigerated prepared food cases. Here, we do a lot of the heavy lifting for putting together a Korean meal at home. There's literally cold case after cold case of banchan, which is at, when you go to like a Korean restaurant, all the little side dishes of like pre-prepared spicy tofu and uh, fish cakes and stir-fried peppers and radishes and anything and everything that you'd put out as a small side dish, you can find in the, generally this area here. There's also uh, chapche, which is basically like stir-fried glass noodle with uh, some vegetables. That's also uh, pre-prepared here. Cold or warm, it's going to be delicious. And here they don't call it chapche, they call it stir-fried vermicelli. Yes. So even if you don't know a lot about Korean food, you've probably heard of Korean barbecue with its sweet, slightly crispy edges. Theo says this section makes doing Korean barbecue at home really easy. A lot of grocery stores have for many, many years been selling prepared cuts of beef already in that uh, marinade, whether it's bulgogi or galbi, which is um, pre-sliced marinated short rib. Galbi is a little bit different from like the English short rib that you'd see in other dishes in that it's cut across the bone. So um, oftentimes you'll have like this little handle of cut bone at the top of a piece of galbi. And that makes grilling this relatively thin piece of meat a little bit easier because you have this little handle of bone on top. 
they're marinated and they're sliced thin, whether it's bulgogi or galbi. So that way, when they are grilled, they just need to be grilled very quickly. So what you wind up having at the end is this extremely flavorful piece of meat with the edges extremely crispy, but the interior very, very tender because it hasn't spent a lot of time on the grill. And how would uh, Koreans eat it after it comes off the grill? <laughs> Any number of ways. Obviously, a slice served with banchan. And a lettuce leaf with some rice and banchan. Yes. The traditional beef or like some of the spicy pork or a chicken down there. All in that same way, some sort of spicy condiment, a little pickled vegetable. If you're going to any barbecue, whether there's Koreans there or not, <laughs> just come to a Korean grocery store that sells this pre-marinated beef. Pick up a couple trays of it. You will be the hero of any barbecue you attend. Anything and everything that you'd put out as a small side dish um, in a Korean restaurant, you can find generally this area here. Bibimbap ingredients like um, chopped carrot, mung bean, pickled shiitakes, uh, a couple different kinds of kimchi. There's uh, shiso sesame leaves in soy sauce, marinated eggplant, straight ahead cabbage kimchi, which is the kimchi that most of your listeners will be familiar with. Like <laughs> eight different kinds of spicy tofu slices here. Right. And so, okay, so this can seem overwhelming. I mean, just dozens and dozens and dozens of prepared things. What would be good for a beginner? What I'd recommend for a beginner starting off with this sort of stuff is let's just go over to the fresh kimchi, the fresh cabbage kimchi, and uh, we'll take a look at that. Most Koreans don't make their own kimchi. I mean, a lot of them do, but for day-to-day use, they just buy beautiful, delicious crocs of really well-made stuff. So uh, for beginners, I'd recommend going with the fresh kimchi, um, the stuff that hasn't been sitting around in crocs for months and months and months. It's going to have a kind of a crispy, almost like spicy, fresh sauerkraut flavor. It's going to have some funk, but it's not going to be off-putting. It's just going to be, the flavor's going to be really developed and delicious. One thing that your listeners might not know is that most kimchi that is commercially produced is not vegetarian. They feature some form of either uh, fish paste or shrimp paste to kind of accelerate the fermentation process. They do sell vegetarian kimchi, but that's a little harder to find. Um, If it's an issue for you, uh, just remember that the amount of shrimp or fish paste that they're using is negligible, uh, but it is definitely in there. listening to WBEZ's Worldview, and this week we're exploring Chicago's international grocery stores with local guides. Today, we're looking at Korean groceries, but tomorrow it's off to Ukraine and Poland at Rich's Deli on the northwest side. You can find the link to the whole series at wbez.org slash worldview. Now back to our guide Theo Han at H-Mart, where we're digging into some fishy condiments. So here in the Panchan section, there are also lots and lots of little fish. They look like minnows. Can you talk to me about them? Yeah, these are um, what I grew up uh, calling the melchi. So they're just teeny tiny little anchovies. And basically they're dried out or stir-fried and then made crunchy. 
and you basically use them to top rice or like bibimbap uh, as just another condiment. Um, sometimes they're plain and salted. Sometimes they've been made spicy. Either way, they're delicious. Another um, condiment that can be used, this is primarily with like grilled pork, which Koreans definitely love. This is seojot, which is basically just teeny tiny brine shrimp that have been uh, salted and slightly fermented and super, super, super delicious. And you use them for cooking, or it's just a cold condiment? It's primarily used as a cold condiment, um, especially with, like, a balsam, uh, or just any kind of, like, big pork roast, or, like, with pork belly. They're very, very, very salty. So just a little dab of the little brine shrimp in your lettuce leaf or sesame leaf wrapped with your uh, little bite of rice and protein. It's fantastic. Next up, we go to a section with a ton of bright yellow daikon radish pickles called danmuji. Basically, we're in the Vlasic pickle section of H Mart. Daikon radish is pretty integral to a lot of restaurant Korean food. You'll recognize a lot of these kind of traditionally pickled yellow daikon radishes everywhere. And how would you use them? Just as a garnish for basically uh, a lot of, actually a lot of grilled beef uh, benefits from either kimchi or something like sweet and slightly acidic like this. So the seafood section here is kind of bonkers. More than we can get into here. But suffice it to say, if you like seafood and sushi-grade fish, you're likely to find it here, fresh, frozen, or even alive. You're used to seeing seafood tanks at your local fancy grocery stores, but They have actual aquariums here filled with crabs and other shellfish. They're chopping up what looks like a sushi-grade salmon and tuna right now. All right, so we are in a section, wow, really a whole aisle called Roasted Laver. Can you talk to us about this? So this is uh, where you'd find gim, which is basically toasted uh, seaweed that's kind of used as a wrapping for individual bites in Korean uh, cuisine. A lot of your listeners will be more familiar with nori. The Korean version of it is a little toastier, a little crispier, uh, with a more pronounced uh, toasted sesame oil note. I think, frankly, that it's more delicious than nori. Just just texturally, it has a little more crunch, and it's a little more versatile because it can't just be used as a wrapping, but you can actually uh, chop it up or crumble it and use it as more of a crunchy, salty topping on top of rice or... Or eat it like potato chips. Or eat it like potato chips, which a lot of folks are doing now. And there are these packages that are about uh, the size of a deck of cards, and... They're handy for snacking, and they're growing and increasing popularity here in the States. All right, so Theo, we're in an aisle that is just packed with different types of ramen and uh, and noodle soups. What have you got in your hand? I've got what is arguably the king of packaged ramen, which is uh, Shin Black. Why is it so good? Frankly, I just think it tastes the best, Uh, unlike the tiny little packets of, like, garbage flavor uh, packets that you're going to get in your grocery store ramen. You're going to get like three to four like packets of like vegetables, flavoring. And frankly, I think one package of this competes with some of the more boring restaurant ramen that you're going to get. It's spicy and delicious, and it will basically cure whatever ails you on a cold January evening. 
And how would you doctor it up at home? With a little like uh, either marinated uh, shiitake or even like fresh shiitake, just kind of like sitting in the broth that you're cooking with. A little sliced beef, some kimchi, some scallion, and definitely a fried egg. Okay, so Theo, we're in a section of the store that just says red pepper powder. (laughs) Yeah, gochujang is basically the main flavors that you're going to find in Korean cooking. And the gochujang that we made, this is basically the stuff that it's made from. Um, This is also one of the major flavorings in uh, kimchi. So that's what you would do with a five-pound bag of red pepper powder. (laughs) Yeah, and in a house that's going to be cooking a lot, that's not going to last you super long. Next, we come to the liquor section, where there are more than a dozen varieties of something called soju. Oh, soju is the national drink and national curse of my people. (laughs) It is a uh, fermented beverage, often made with sweet potatoes, often a lot more higher proof than you can get in Chicago. A lot of wine nerds say it's actually probably the best thing to drink with grilled beef, bulgogi, galbi, even just like a regular grilled ribeye coming off, or a hamburger coming off your grill. There's just something about it's very clean, cold flavor profile. It works really, really well. The problem is that it drinks really, really easy, and so it's very, very easy to kind of not realize how much you've had until it's too late. Don't stay A lot of drinking culture in Korea kind of revolves around soju and its various traditions on drinking. I personally just prefer to have it ice cold in a small glass and sip it when I'm having Korean barbecue. That usually all goes out the window once, you know, you and your friends start having a better and better time as the evening goes on. <laughs> Next to all these boxes of soju, we see a milky refrigerated drink. Called uh, mokali, and it's basically brewed rice wine. It's a little bit sweet, kind of an old man drink, but it's also super, super delicious. And it's slightly fermented, so there's a tiny little bit of carbonation, and it's traditionally served in a wooden bowl with a wooden scoop. And at the like end of a meal or when you're starting to drink it you serve it out of bowls like a punch it too goes down really really easy and it is easy to get yourself into trouble <laughs> all right now that we bought all our stuff i can't wait to go home and try out some of these products thank you so much theo for being my tour guide through H-Mart today. It was my pleasure. Any excuse to come here and buy a bunch of delicious, delicious chow, I I will do it. That was Monica Ng with Theo Han at the H-Mart in Niles for our Hungry for Home series. We wrote up their tour of H-Mart at wbez.org slash worldview. You can go there and get the ideas for the best ramen and the top snacks and food you can buy and instructions on how to use it. Go to wbez.org slash worldview and look for the Hungry for Home series. Monica, Theo, and I also visited the Chicago Sun-Times and their test kitchen, and we did a whole Julia Child thing, and we wanted to show you how to make a favorite dish of Theo's, and you can see that video and the recipe at chicago.suntimes.com. 
Coming up after the break, we'll learn how to order and eat at a Korean restaurant. I'm Jerome McDonald. You're listening to Worldview on WBEZ. This is Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. We're continuing our series, Hungry for Home, in collaboration with the Chicago Sun-Times. We're talking about Chicago's ethnic communities, the food they eat, and the grocery stores where they shop. And we're going to toss it back to Monica Ng, who teaches us about eating at a Korean restaurant. Thanks so much, Jerome. So before the break, we heard about how to shop for Korean groceries at H-Mart. Today, we're at Jongbu at around Kimball and Belmont on the north side with WBEZ reporter Suzyeon and her friend Sophie Kim. And they're going to teach me how to order different Korean dishes, how to appreciate them, what they should taste like, and the best things for beginners and advanced level folks to order. So ladies, why did you choose the little food court cafe here at Jongbu? I mean, honestly, I chose it because we actually live on the same street and it's very close to where we live. So it's, you know, convenience. Um, but also there's a lot of great food here. It's just easy to order. It's small, which might be intimidating to some folks at first. But once you know what to get, it's it's just easy, an, an easy meal to get. You know, one thing about this place, uh, they used to have a sign up saying... These are some pretty challenging dishes, and if you order them, you are not going to be able to return them. And and there were a few dishes with some fermented soybeans and things, and so, you know, you ladies are going to help beginners, you know, avoid those kinds of dishes, and then other people be able to just enjoy and know what to order and how to eat them. So tell me, what are some of the things you ordered today, Sophie? Okay, so we ordered some gampogi. It's uh, Korean chicken wings. It's got like a sweet crunchy exterior with sesame seeds. It's a fan favorite of anyone that eats it. It's the go-to. And then we have some chapche, which is also a fan favorite for people who aren't used to Korean food because it's glass noodles, it's vegetables, usually beef. Really mild, that's not spicy. These two dishes are not spicy. And it's like soy sauce base, sesame oil. Pretty tame. And then you have sundubu, which is for the spicy lovers. And it's just really soft tofu, like super soft, and it's seafood-based. So if you like fishy things, that's not really the one you want to go with. And it comes out boiling, so it's just piping hot when you get it. It's not Korean food if it's not boiling hot when you get a soup, okay? Don't serve anything lukewarm. They'll just, you always have to reheat it up again for them. Can you tell me why? I've noticed that. I've noticed that things come to the table boiling. Why is that? Because if it's not hot, it's not good. Listen, (laughs) there's a certain way to eat. I'm sure that's like any other ethnic kind of cuisine. There's a right way to eat everything. So trust me, a Korean person will tell you if you're doing it wrong. Okay, so, but do you you wait then? Do you say, okay, so this is boiling now. I got to wait 15 minutes. This is what you do. You have some white rice next to your soup, and most people will kind of just take a little scoop of rice and add it to the soup to kind of cool it down and a lot of soup is eaten with the rice inside you mix it in that's a good way and you just blow on it and you know people don't talk when they eat korean food usually at least in my family you're just really blowing on your food and (laughs) there's also a lot of (laughs) 
Because people have burned their mouths? <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's the way to eat it. Okay, so the other dish uh, we got was solangtang. And on the menu, it says it's beef and honeycomb bone soup. Now, this is not for the faint of heart because the honeycomb part, which I think is funny, is actually tripe. It's like, it's, so it's chewy and it's got a funny texture, like a honeycomb, but from inside an animal. So, so, so don't expect it to be a honeycomb dripping with honey. This is honeycomb tripe. Yes, which is kind of misleading from the description. So it's milky white and... Yeah, don't get it if you don't like tripe. Sophie, I've got a question for you. Growing up, all my Korean friends would always tell me about salongtang. They're like, oh, it's such a wonderful soup. I just love it so much. And then I ordered it for the first time, and I was like, oh, hot dog. I can't wait to dig in. I was like, this doesn't taste like anything. What are you supposed to do? Because it, it, it's, it's a very subtle bone flavor. Yeah, it's really mild. You have to eat it with kimchi. So everything Korean food, they just eat it with kimchi. That's the salty part, spicy part. And because when you get older Koreans, they just don't like such salty food, I've noticed. And so this is a good way. You can always add salt. You can't take it out. Sometimes you'll get, like, also get a little bowl of salt with your, your uh, order. And then so you'll just kind of sprinkle in your own level of salt. You know what's better than salangtang? They don't sell here, but it's worth it is oxtail soup. The broth from the oxtail soup is very good for you. And it's got the kind of bone brothy taste as the salangtang. It's just more almost nourishing. And the oxtail, you take it out and you put it on a separate little bowl. You put a little kanjang, a little soy sauce on it with vinegar. And then you add in your green onions and you... you get that salty from there too I love taking salangtang home if I don't finish it all because when I take it home it turns into jello and I think that's how you know it's a really good bone broth yes that's exactly what the oxtail soup is that jello the collagen it's it's so good for you so I see these little salads whenever I go to Korean restaurants you see these little side salads of uh, sprouted bean sprouts some daikon radish kimchi maybe some noodles are those an appetizer? Are those a condiment? How does one eat those properly? So, can you tell me about that, Sophie? Panchan is like, a, it's, like it's more like a side dish. So, usually, only in restaurants will they do that, will bring it out early. But it just comes when all the meal is there. You pick at it like this, like a side dish. And etiquette is you, you just take a little bit to taste it. You wait for everyone to get a taste of it around the table before you just like, just don't go at it because then some people won't get a taste of it and that's not proper etiquette. I've heard some non-Korean people say, I went to this Korean restaurant and they gave me two panchan. But then at the next table where there were Koreans, they got like 15. Does that ever happen? <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> when, uh, when, if it's like just, you know, an all non-Korean table versus a Korean table, there's a difference. It's because Korean people don't think white people will like will like it, and they don't want to throw it out because they put it here. It's going to be wasteful. It's like I made some chop chip for some friends. They were, they were Caucasian, and my mom's like, don't give them so much <laughs> because you don't know if they're going to eat it or not, if they're going to like it. And I said, oh, they're Jewish, though. They're going to like it. <laughs> I, I don't know what that means, but, but you know, that's very interesting because the first time I encountered a buffet 
where you would be charged for food you took and didn't eat. It was a Korean buffet on Lincoln Avenue. So I think the Koreans have probably known hard times, like a lot of cultures, and they don't like waste. Um, although, in my family, my mother's the only one who doesn't like waste. And my father, I think it's a refugee thing, because food was so scarce, and they were really, really hungry. And so every little bit, my mom, when she was little, she would eat her younger siblings' leftovers. So it started from then, and then now we can't throw away anything, and it passed on to our kids, to me. But when I go out to L.A., visit some cousins, we go out to a restaurant, they ordered, like, about $200 worth of food, and they were just going to throw it out. And so I'm the only one who's, like, wrapping it up. And they're like, you're just like your mom. You know what? And I have witnessed Sophie uh, finishing up the last little bits of food that, you know, you're not going to save it. It's not enough to save, but it's enough to just stand over the, the sink and, and finish it up. Uh, my my mom also did that, too. Um, and, you know, I... I don't think uh, her family really ever fell on hard times, but it was kind of instilled in them to not waste. So even today when when we visit, she will finish up those last bits. Even though she's not hungry anymore, it's just not enough to save, but she will eat those last bits. Because you know the best buy date? Um, No, my family doesn't go by that. It's just like (laughs) condiments will never go bad. And you know, that's the thing is that in Korean food, kimchi doesn't ever go bad. Right, that's a main a main staple, and it just gets better with age. And then, if it gets too old to eat fresh, you make kimchi jjigae. You make a stew out of it. So all the leftover, the little panchan, the side dishes they're talking about. What you do is that's how bibimbap was made. That famous like rice dish with the vegetable sides and the the gochujang. That's it's because you don't wanna you wanna use up your leftovers. Okay, so. Ladies, we have condiments here. There's salt, pepper, soy sauce. Most people know about that. What would we put the white vinegar and the red pepper flakes in? Well, I mean, really, everything here is um, ready to go, except for maybe the tong. You would put, you know, your level of salt in there if you wanted. This is, Korean people, when they ever have, like, soy sauce as a dipping, they always put a little vinegar in it, too. And then the red pepper flakes, you could put on your bean sprouts, your side dishes, if you want them spicier. That's where you're going to get the added spice if you want. You're listening to WBEZ's Worldview Hungry for Home series, and here we are at the Jungbu Food Court with Sophie Kim and Suzy An. And ladies, we've just finished our Korean chicken wings, our cellophane noodles, our spicy seafood, tofu soup, our uh, bone broth with honeycomb tripe. Now, um, this part of Chicago, it's not particularly Korean. It's around Kimball and Belmont. Um, but it's kind of in between where the Korean communities were. At first, they were in Wrigleyville, then Albany Park, and now, like a lot of different ethnic groups, they've moved to the northwest suburbs. Where else do you guys like to get your Korean food and groceries? Um, I really like my favorite Korean restaurant in the city is Chosunok on Lincoln and Bordeaux. It's really small, though. It's not good for, like, huge groups. You have to always wait for a table, I feel. And it's really hot by the grill, but it's the best um, chadobegi, like the thinly sliced meat. Uh, they grill, and then you eat it with scallions and sesame oil and salt and pepper. It's, it's very good. Yeah, I, that thinly sliced brisket that you cook very quickly and then run through some sesame oil. That's delicious. Well, speaking of chosunok, I've got a question for you. What is the etiquette around doing Korean barbecue? Because often you'll have a grill in the middle, you'll have a bunch of raw meat. Who cooks? How do you know when to take it off? And what do you do with that meat after you take it off the grill? 
Usually, the most Korean person will start to cook it, <laughs> and then or whoever wants to, because it's labor intensive, and you really can't stop cooking it until it's all cooked. And then you have to eat that. See, you have to eat that chadobegi, the barbecue, as soon as it's hot. If you let it rest like one minute, it'll start to get cold, and it won't taste as good. And if you're doing it not so well, uh, the person, the waitress, will come around and do it for you. Or if you're weary, they might just do it for you in the beginning. And then they'll take all the leftovers with the kimchi and they'll put some rice in it and make some kimchi stirred fried rice. Exactly how Koreans do not like to waste food. So you better eat it all either way. Okay, so speaking of Korean servers, sometimes women, I don't know. Am I out of line here saying that sometimes they're grumpy? They are almost always grumpy to either whether you're Korean or not Korean because they're tired, they're working a lot, and they just want to get a faster service. So they're not going to like spend time chatting you up. That's really inefficient. Let's say Koreans are like they're not going to pretend to be nice. I hear Japanese people are really. My dad says they're really polite. We went to visit. And they're really nice to you, but Koreans, what they think is going to come out in their face. It's always you see them judging you in their eyes. Well, speaking of Korean waitresses, for a lot of people who aren't used to them, they they start walking up to your table with sharp scissors. What's that all about? They're only there to help. Scissors are your friend, and they cut everything faster than a knife. A knife is very inefficient as well. Just cut it with the scissors. It can cut your meat so it's more bite-sized for you. And they even dig into noodles sometimes. Always cut the noodles, especially if you're eating this. What's good to get also with your chadobegi at the chosunok is a cold broth. It's a beef broth with these buckwheat noodles called nengmyeong. It's really cold. It's with beef too, and everyone does it a little bit differently. It's good with some hot mustard. You have to add the hot mustard, and you have to cut those noodles because they're really chewy. And especially for kids, you don't want them choking. Okay, so we've learned the etiquette of going for Korean barbecue. The most Korean person will do the grilling. Usually, it's the oldest woman. Sometimes the server will. And then once you take those little wonderful bits off the grill, you are often given these leaves, like red leaf lettuce. Oh yeah, that's called sam. So traditionally, you put some rice in the lettuce leaf. It's like it's a lettuce wrap that you would get like at Cheesecake Factory. And then you add your meat. You would add some. It's called samjang. It's like a miso and gochujang, like red pepper paste combo. It's really yummy, like salty, sweet, uh, spicy. And you just eat it all up in one bite. You have to eat it all in your mouth. Don't take one bite and then have this leftover stuff. Just make it's going to be big, and you can't handle it. Don't do it. My my parents always told me never to eat that on a date because you have to get the whole thing in your mouth in one bite, and you look very ugly doing it. Yeah, I've seen that, and that's like a lot of food to stick in your mouth in one bite. Uh, you learn at a young age. <laughs> it takes practice. Okay, so now we know how to eat at a soup and noodle place. We know how to eat at a Korean barbecue place. What about these famous Korean Chinese restaurants? Can you tell me about that, Susie? Okay, so Korean Chinese restaurants, you might not necessarily know it's a Korean Chinese restaurant, um, but here are like, just a few quick signs. If you walk in and you're Korean, they'll know, and they will immediately give you the kimchi, the pickled radishes, um, and, and so that'll be a clue. But things to look for on the menu for a specific Chinese Korean food, that's chapcha. Those are the noodles with, like, what is that? Like a black, black bean, bean paste. paste sauce. Yeah, the jajimyeon comes 
with, if it's really good, it'll come with the pork, it'll come with seafood and vegetables, the trifecta. And then jampong is like a seafood noodle-based soup that is spicy usually. And sweet sour pork, basically. It's fried a certain way with a, a light batter. And so those restaurants are great Beijing, great seas, Yu's and Schaumburg. And so you can look for those dishes there. So some people are a little intimidated by Korean food, but I think with your help, they will be able to at least navigate these basic dishes and give them a try. My grandma used to say, once someone goes Korean, they don't go back, meaning the food, meaning the food. You're listening to Worldview on WBEZ, and today we're exploring Korean culture, and we're here at Jungbu Market. But tomorrow, we're going to be going and checking out Polish-Ukrainian culture with Rich's Deli and the Magic Jug with Worldview's own Yulian Haida. So, Sophie, tell us how to say goodbye and thank you in Korean. 안녕하세요 and 고맙습니다 or 감사합니다. That was WBEZ's Monica Eng at the Jungbu Market. WBEZ's collaboration with the Chicago Sun-Times, Hungry for Home, continues tomorrow. In the meantime, check out our digital presentation at wbez.org worldview. Special thanks to Mike Lansu and Paula Friedrich for editing our digital stories and Carol Fowler at the Chicago Sun-Times. Worldview is produced by Steve Bynum and Julian Haida. Thanks to Viviana Garcia Blanco for production assistance and Mike Gilmore for engineering. I'm Jerome McDonald, and you're listening to Worldview on WBEZ.